0: Welcome to Pastor's Class here on a Wednesday night. We're going to take a look at Philippians chapter 2. We've been going through Philippians. It's a great great book. It's an encouraging book. I hope that you'll spend some time reading it. Really, you can uh, take Philippians, and it's so short. You could sit down and maybe for a month, just read it every single morning uh, during your devotion, underlining things, circling things. And that's really kind of what we try to do on the Wednesday night pastors class is make it less like a sermon and more like a Bible study as we go through uh, just the great sections, uh, portions of the Bible, hoping to get God's Word into our heart. Uh, This morning we take a look at, uh, I'm sorry, this evening we take a look at Philippians chapter 2 and there we start in verse 19 and go to verse 30 and uh, it is a strange section And a lot of times people kind of just go running through it because it talks about two people, Timothy and Epaphroditus. And it's just talking about their journey, uh, about Paul sending those two men to the church at Philippi. And it really, you feel like uh, there's not much theology or doctrine there. But the truth of the matter is that there is a lot here. So let me just read it to you. And uh, you follow along in your Bible. And uh, you, you follow as I read. And then we'll say a prayer. And look at some of the attributes of these two men. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. And I pray you would bless our time together. I pray that you would use this for your own glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's take a look at the Bible. This is what Paul writes. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. Then he turned to Epaphroditus. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and near to death, but God had mercy on him and not, not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Now when you read those two guys, Timothy and Epaphroditus, wouldn't you like to know more? Uh, especially by the I mean here's we get this little glimpse of him. Who is this man that had spent time being sick, who had risked his life, who was uh, so close to Paul? Who was this man that wasn't really even a, a figure in the church by way of an office? We don't know him as, as a pastor, certainly wasn't an apostle. We don't know who this, this layman was. We do know about Timothy. And I think that tonight, uh, as we take these two men, we can lift them up. Let's just take them up out of the page and see some of those qualities that Paul points out. So so when you read the Bible, a lot of times it's prescriptive by telling us what to do. You have doctrine and theology. You have the commandments. Uh, You have the things that Jesus has given us. You have all of the letters of Paul. Sometimes it is descriptive when you read the narratives and the stories and we pull principles out of how God is working. Tonight, what we're doing is it it becomes biographical. Paul has lifted up two men to look at and say, here are two great examples of what it looks like to be a Christian. One of my favorite things to do is to read history and biography. Every night uh, for about an hour, I try to spend some time reading. I just came off vacation and spent two weeks of doing very little than, uh, other than just sitting on the beach and reading. I love to read biography and history because they're in those two things and they go together, uh, whether it's a biography of a Christian person or even an, an, an unchristian, but maybe a leader or some figure in history, it gives you some insights of what are good things to do, what are bad things to do, how people go through suffering, Uh, how Christian people deal with struggle. And so I think it's good for us to to pull aside and take a look at these two men. So what I'd like to do is first let's hold Timothy up. What can we learn from Timothy's life as described by Paul? Well, here's the first one. You'll notice it in, in verse 20. It's a strange phrase. It's, Like sold. L I K E, like sold. S O U L E D. He had the same kind of soul as Paul. Let me read it to you, Uh, verse 20. Paul says, For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. No one like him. Now, first I thought, well, Timothy is, is really a unique. That's what Paul meant. But when you look underneath the English into Greek, what he's saying is there's not anybody that is like him that has the same soul as I have, the same burden, the same love for people. Um, Paul says that Timothy and I have have a certain fellowship, uh, a Christian knittedness. Uh, It's important for you, let me turn aside here for a moment, that as Christians, we don't live in isolation. Timothy would be the successor to Paul. Nobody was like Paul, uh, but, but Paul treated him as if he were a co-equal. And he said that Timothy, Timothy has the same soul. They have, they're, they're knitted together. They were friends, but friends in Christ. And, and that is a different kind of, of fellowship. One of the things that we learn, and I think we're going to learn more and more as uh, the culture continues to devolve and we continue to stand for truth, is you'll find more and more our need, um, not just for the gospel, but for true Christian friendship. And here's an example of what it means to be a Christian friend, to have the same kind of soul, the same love for Christ. And so I i would just wonder who in your life is is iron sharpening iron? Who in your life is pointing you to Christ? Who are you praying? If you pray for your spouse, do you pray God help her or or help him draw closer to Jesus today? One of the examples we find here is one of great fellowship, but I I mentioned the word burden. Uh, Another example of Timothy is his real burden for people. Look how Paul describes him uh, right there in verse 20. I have no one like him, like sold, is the Greek, who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. So Paul is sending Timothy to the church at Philippi, and he says there's this quality in him that he has a real burden for people of the church, a real love for him, a genuine affection, a a deep concern. It's one of those things that... uh, that we've got to learn to cultivate when it comes to being church members and loving the church. A a real burden and concern for people within the church. A genuine love. That means that uh, we become men and women of encouragement. Uh, we become men and women of admonishment. You know, one of the things about Hickory Grove is it it is a large church. Uh, Not just a large number of people, the structures, the buildings... Are large. It's very easy to come in, sit down, go to church, watch churches over, walk out, and not really have your life sort of impacted by someone. And Paul says, "I'm sending you this young man that actually will have a deep affection and concern for your your own soul." One of the things that I, I hope will will grow deeper in here at Hickory Grove is a genuine discipling of one another so that we are getting the Bible, we are getting theology, but a third element that has to go into that is gonna be relationships. How we're building into one another a real affection and burden for each other. Something else he points out about Timothy as he describes him in verse 21 and 22 uh, is that he that Timothy actually loves the mission of the church. Look at the description, it, it's, it goes, There are four elements to it. Let me just read it to you in verse 21 and 22. He says about someone else, For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he he has served me in the gospel. Listen to the description. Verse 21 tells us that he's selfless, that he is Christ-centered that is not like others. He in fact loves Jesus. Verse 22. He's submissive to, to Paul. He, uh, Paul says he's like a, um, he's like a son to me. He is someone that serves me. And really, when you remember the, the history of Paul and Timothy at Timothy, uh, Paul met Timothy. Timothy had a believing mother. She was a Christian but the indication is that his father was, was not a Christian, so he's raised in this home where if his father was not a Christian, at least he allowed his mother to disciple him. Timothy came up understanding that his mom loved the Gospel, that his grandmother loved the Gospel, and in many ways he didn't have, there's not this indication, that there was a male Christian figure in his life, and Paul became that for him. He became his son in Christ, invested in him, and then Timothy reciprocated that. This is what Paul's talking about. It's not the investment that Paul put into Timothy. Paul is indicating that Timothy had a deep affection like a son would for a good father, a desire to serve. He even says that he's ministering, uh, verse 22, that he's, that he's serving him, submitting to Paul's leadership. He is this. He is this young man, and I pray God will give us more specifically young men, but young men and women too, young men and women that love the mission of the church, that give themselves over in humility and passion to what God is doing. So in this travel narrative here, Paul says, I'm sending you Timothy and I'm commending him. So here's the great things about him. You can look at him as a great example. Tried to lay out three or four of those. Uh, that he gives us about Timothy, and, and then he gives us a transition. You'll notice in verse 23 and 24, there's a transition to another person called Epaphrodites. Let me read the, the verses. <clears throat> I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. So he wants to send Timothy, verse 24, and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come. So Timothy's coming, Epaphrodites coming, Paul hopes to get there as well. Now, he turns his attention to uh, a man named Epaphrodites. We don't know anything about him, really, other than what we read here, that he was a faithful church member. There's not any indication that he was a pastor. Possibly it was. I know the uh, the Greek Orthodox Church and uh, also the Catholic Church uh, canonized Epaphrodites as a saint. So there is some indication that it was leadership, but but as Protestants, we, we look to get what do we get out of the Bible? The Bible doesn't give us any of that. What does it tell us about Epaphrodites? Well, look, the, uh, look at the description in verse 25. There's several things that Paul says that I think are worth uh, unwinding just a bit in verse 25. Notice what he says. <clears throat> "I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother." So, look at the list. I'll just list them and go back and say them. My brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier, your messenger and minister to my need. So, in verse 25, we're, I mean, it's packed with all of this description of Epaphroditus. What does it mean that he's a brother? Well, if he's a brother, that means that number one, he's adopted in Christ, he has put his faith in the Lord Jesus the life and death and resurrection of Christ, and he's saved by grace through faith in Jesus. And because of that, he's adopted into the family of God and genuinely would be called a brother. Paul remembers what that, what that was like. On the road to Damascus, when he became a believer there, he had previously persecuted the church and the church was afraid of him. They would not bring him in. Barnabas took him by the hand and uh, called him brother. Brought him into the fellowship. He knows what it's like to be on the outside. And he says, look, Epaphroditus is is one of those that is on the inside. He's a brother. He's adopted. Uh, If if you're a brother, it means there's a certain depth and texture to your relationship to Christ. A real affection for other brothers and sisters in the church. Uh, you, You find out that, I don't know where I heard this. But you find out that theology uh, is thicker than blood. You've heard the saying that that, uh, blood is thicker than water, that when uh, crisis comes, people are going to stick with their family, even if uh, somebody is right on another issue. But what we're finding out in the Christian church, um, this brotherhood and sisterhood, being a Christian, that this theology, this core of the gospel, has to become thicker even than family relationships. So so Paul is saying about Epaphroditus that that he's a brother and this relationship in Christ is even stronger than a family relationship of a natural uh, brother or sister or mother or father. Uh, Isn't that even what Jesus said that he who, who doesn't, he who loves father or mother more than me is not not worthy of me. So we find out in, in the Christian life that theology is thicker. We have to face this because we'll have family members that go off the rails, that will renounce Christianity, that might deconstruct their faith, that uh, may go into a lifestyle, uh, especially with the LGBTQ movement that's trying to come to the church. Uh, you, you find out that the- theology has to be thicker than our relationships and so he calls him a brother but he also calls him a fellow worker you see that in verse 25 I tried to list them as I went through fellow worker what does that mean well there needs to be uh, some elements to how we understand work as a Christian so work needs to be gospel work and that is to say evangelism Sharing the gospel is not just what people will say being the hands and feet of Jesus. I understand the state I understand why people say that, that they're, they're trying to live the gospel. That is a great thing to do. It's not a great statement. Uh, the hands and feet of Jesus were pierced through for our transgressions. So let's say that we are we are being disciples of Christ and, and serving Jesus, but we want to make sure that we don't forget to articulate the gospel and that is that God is holy, and man a sinner, and we're separated from God because of that sin. That sin will send us to hell without Christ. Jesus Christ lived perfectly, died on the cross in the place of sinners. God raised him from the dead. And anyone who will believe that, turn from sin and believe that, becomes a Christian. So a gospel worker, this kind of worker is someone that knows uh, the gospel, uh, understands evangelism. Not just evangelism, But really, discipleship, one of the areas that uh, lots of churches have failed in the last 100 and 150 years have been in the area of discipleship. People join a church and baptize and then don't learn anything. And part of our obligation here at Hickory Grove is to make sure that we not only can articulate the gospel and are sharing it rightly, leading people to Christ, but also are teaching the deep things of, of what it means to be a Christian. I mean, I'm personally. I want people to know uh, the Bible narrative. I want you to know what the Bible says from Genesis to Revelation to have the full story of God's redemption. I want us to know theology, the great doctrines of the faith, so that you have some depth because because good doctrine actually becomes devotion. So so good doctrine becomes that which protects us from from melancholy, from uh, from depression, from suffering the more we know that, it seeps into our hearts. So I want us to know the Bible. I want us to know good doctrine. I want us to know church history. There are 2,000 years behind us of faithful men and women that have lived gloriously for Jesus and suffered and given us the whole story of, of really of Western civilization, even Eastern civilization. Is uh, Christian history is woven into all of that. I think that's part of of discipleship. And then being a worker for Christ means mercy ministries. You hear that around here a lot. The things that we do, if it's Operation Charlotte, if it's the clothes closet, if it's the food pantry, those ministries are done certainly so we can share the gospel, but really they're done because they're the right things to do as as Christians, that we're doing things looking for nothing in return other than uh, living out the, the mercy and kindness of God in helping people. So he's a brother. Let's go back to Epaphroditus. He's a brother. He is a fellow worker. Look again at verse 25. He is a fellow soldier. You see that phrase? Uh, what does it mean to be a soldier? Because you hear the, the, uh, you hear that analogy a lot. Paul uses that. He even uses it at the end of Ephesians uh, to talk about putting on the armor of God. What does it mean to be a soldier? It means to stand, that Epaphroditus is going to stand with you, that he's going to defend the faith, that, that he's going to understand the expectation and then the cost of being a follower of Jesus. When a soldier is enlisted, he understands there's a certain expectation, there's a certain cost, and there's potential suffering. One of the things that we can learn is the expectations of what it means to follow Jesus. The cost of following Jesus. Jesus himself says count the cost. And then the third one I think that uh, people forget and we need to start remembering is we need to go ahead and expect that there is um, potentially suffering that comes into our lives because of the fact that we are Christians. And I think we'll see that more and more uh, in the United States, as as the the devolution of culture continues, and we're standing in the same spot on the same doctrine we always have, always have, and the culture moves, what we're going to find out is here we are standing alone in some ways, and that's going to invite some some suffering. So Epaphroditus is a brother, a fellow worker. He is a fellow soldier, and verse twenty five says um, Paul says he is a messenger. Uh, that's the word where we get the word apostle. He's not an apostle, but he is a messenger. That is, what is the message? What should our message be? What should your message be? Well, one is, is the gospel is good and it works, and our life adorns the gospel. Your life makes the gospel look attractive. <clears throat> our message should be one of encouragement in Christ. I think it's you're never going to encourage someone too much. I think that is a good word for believers. Our message is one of correction. We shouldn't be able, to, uh, we shouldn't be afraid to speak the truth in love, to do it with affection, to do it with humility, and to provide co- correction to an errant brother or sister in Jesus, to do it with grace, but to do it very firmly. I, I think the message is uh, needs to be increasingly uh, good doctrine. What are these things that we believe, and what is it that makes us Christian? and separates us from those that are not Christian. So he's he's a soldier, a messenger, a worker, a brother. And at the end of verse 25, you'll notice he's called a minister, that he's serving. Paul says this, I think he's a layman, Epaphroditus, uh, that he has ministered to my needs. You see that in verse 25? A fellow soldier, he's your messenger, and he ministered to my needs. That is nothing more than serving. How do you become a minister? Not officially, but but as a Christian. Well, a minister is self-giving. This is how it's it. Self-giving, others-focused, gospel-centered. Self-giving, others-focused, gospel-centered. I was reading about uh, one of the Puritans named John Owen. Uh, The Puritans are a fascinating part of history uh, in England. It's during, they flourish during the interregnum period when Charles I is deposed and his head is cut off and then Charles II comes back in. In between that, you have this reign of the Puritans and one of the uh, primary Puritans was a man named John Owen. Now his writings are very difficult uh, very difficult to read. He, he wrote, I don't know, four, five million words. like 24 volumes or something. But he talks about how do Christians grow? What are the elements? That, that help us grow and he gives four. And, and the first one it says we we need to know Jesus Christ and not just a saving knowledge but the depth of who He is. If We love Jesus, we get to know Jesus. Then John Owen says uh, we're, we're protected when we know the Bible. There's, there's very little that's going to be more helpful to you in your life, your own Christian life, when you are saturated with knowledge of the Bible. So we know Christ, we know the Bible, and then John Owen says we need to, uh, we need to know ourselves. What is it that, that tempts us? Where are we weak? Where do we get in trouble? What is it we struggle with? To have a genuine knowledge of that. And then the fourth thing he says, I was surprised about this last one, is uh, he says that we should know the schemes of the devil. So Paul says the, 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 the schemes of the devil, that's where John Owen gets the wording, what do we need to know about how Satan works? How is he working against believers? How does he work against those that are seeking to honor God? How does he work against uh, husbands and wives? How does he work against single people? What is it that Satan does? So John Owen says we need to know Christ, know the Bible, know ourselves, and know the schemes of Satan. So let's let's see if we can close this down as we look at Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus. <clears> I'll just give you two more. And that is that Epaphroditus had a genuine concern and love for the church. And because of that, he became a a valued and vital part of the church. I'll just close by reading uh, those two verses. Verse 26 and 27. For he has been longing. Epaphroditus has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. So he wasn't distressed because he was sick. He was distressed because the church at Philippi found out he was sick, and he was worried that they were worried about him. He was desiring. I mean, this is real kind of uh, this others-focused, this longing, uh, this church-first, this this real concern. And because of that, verse 27 Paul says, uh, he became so, so valuable. I mean, isn't that what the text says in verse 27 and 28? Indeed, he was ill near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not, not only on him, Paul says, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. In other words, if, if Epaphroditus had died, it would have been devastating. Paul's saying he's, he's vital to me. And he winds us up by telling us how do we treat these kind of people. Look what it says um, in, in verse 29. So, receive him. Here's how we receive him. Receive him in the Lord. You see it? Receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. How do we treat people that are living their lives for Jesus? They're giving themselves over. We receive them in the Lord as great brothers and sisters. We, we receive them with joy. We rejoice in all God is doing. And we honor those people. Because we want to hold up. This is, this is where we started. We want to hold up as examples. This is what it looks like to follow Jesus Christ. I, I, I want to be a Timothy. I want to be an Epaphroditus. And I want you to be one of those two as well. Let's close as we think about these two men and how God used them as great examples. Join me as we pray. Father, thank you for your word that is good and strong. Thank you for the examples of Timothy and Epaphroditus. And I pray that at Hickory Grove, you would raise up more and more young men and women that love the Lord, that we can point to and say, live like that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.